our family grew through adoption. So we've gone through that journey and our eldest birth mom probably gave us the best life lesson during that process. They're never ours in the first place. They're kind of uh, the universes. They're their own person to be nourished and kind of make sure they have that confidence and knowledge to go out in the world. We regularly reach 1 million people a week through our content. You know, it's a worthwhile mission. What's going on, guys? My name is Ryan Snod. It rhymes with odd, and you're listening and watching the Rhymes of the Odd podcast. Today, we have another special guest with you. We have Sam Hoyle in the house. Sam, what's going on, man? How's it going? Uh, thanks for having me. It's a cool setup you got here. Thank you. Thanks for coming in. We I was just in Sam's uh, new studio. That what's what's it called? Uh, studio E9. Sorry, I had to remember. <laughs> Question off of the uh, left field. It's named after the road. It's on E9, East 9. Okay. Studio E9. Yeah. Very cool. So it's a um, it's a uh, what would be an older historical building, right? Mm-hmm. And you guys converted it into an apartment and a rentable photo studio. Yep. Okay. That's right. Um, so yeah, my wife and I, we've renovated houses we've lived in and kind of that's how we've kind of gone up the property ladder. Um, my wife likes our current house. And so I re- ran out of projects. I said, Hey, let's get another one. And she was like, no, we're staying here. We, you know, we have little kids now. So I was kind of, looking around for projects to do and uh this cool little brick uh commercial space mixed use space on the kind of northeast side of des moines um became available it wasn't uh listed but a realtor friend of mine kind of let us know about it ton of water damage and so it was in pretty rough shape when we got it so we bought it as is and uh, with the idea that upstairs will turn into just like a rental and then downstairs turn into a commercial space. We had a few people interested in renting that commercial space, but because of how rough it was, they couldn't get past like the build out. So it's just like, well, I'm going to build it out for what I need. And uh, hopefully someone else will be interested along the way. And so we turned it into a portrait studio, has a little kitchenette. So you can have small events there and uh, like baby showers, wedding showers, that kind of stuff. And uh, so, yeah, it took about a year to renovate that. Um, and so, um, yeah, it was kind of like another fun, um, project and another creative outlet. And at least this kind of neighborhood historic building is back in use. It's not empty. It's not going derelict. Um, and it's kind of been a fun project has, a about a half acre orchard with fruit trees to the side. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I have my regular meetings Monday morning. I'll go out there, get on the mower in the spring and summer and put some headphones in and do some mowing. It's like, it's quite a nice way to start the week. <laughs> I quite enjoy that. That's awesome. Not yeah. so much the shoveling. The, that, that gets a bit tiresome. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Throw your back out sometimes. Yeah. So aside from the the studio business, I mean, we you I would, I would categorize you as like a serial entrepreneur. So can you give people just a quick rundown of like, the different businesses that take up some of your time now and things that you're an investor in or that you're an owner of yeah sure uh so now i'll start i'll, I'll start from the start uh my first business so i had you know a, a salaried gig a full-time gig first business was um photographing weddings predominantly photographer uh, the good thing about that was majority of the work was the weekends evenings you know you shoot on a saturday sunday evening for engagement shoes and edit at night it's like we can sit there and um, watch TV in the evening, or I can be in front of a different screen and be creative and make some pocket money along the way. So that's uh, that was the first time setting up an LLC and 
doing the banking the right way and taxes and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So that was a good exercise in that. Um, How long do you shoot wedding photos for? Like five years or more or less? Or? Yeah, I mean, technically it's still going. We set set that one up about eight years ago. Um, and it's still a business. Uh, two years ago, I did like 30 odd weddings. Coming out of COVID, when everything was up in the air, I just said yes to everything. Sure. Um, this year, I think I have like four or five. So it's kind of scaling back. We have two little kids. So working that much on weekends and evenings just isn't realistic anymore. And it's not what I want. To, how I want to spend my time. But if someone reaches out with a Friday wedding, sure, I'll do that. It's sure. just fun. Um, do it mostly for the cake, but... Um, <laughs> it's like my wife. Every yeah. time I go, she's like, bring a piece of cake home if I ever shoot a wedding video. It's like, she loves the cake. So Yeah. Um, I haven't had, I've never had a bad day. Um, I have a brother who's a full-time wedding photographer as well. And it's... It's a good gig. It's fun, especially if you like being around people, meeting new people. Uh, the the number one skill you need in that is, I think, building rapport and making people feel comfortable really quickly. You know, you'll take good pictures after that, especially if you, you know, work, know your way around a camera. Well sure. enough. Um So we got the, we have the wedding business. So that started out. Yeah, that's that was kind of fitting out. Um, the second one after that. So kind of rewind uh my undergrad degree is in photography and film so i have a very like practical skill through that and obviously there was lots of theory that went with it um i did a postgrad in international relations with the idea i wanted to be a photojournalist travel the world but i also wanted a good sense of rather than just turning up taking pictures i wanted to know and understand some of the forces behind w world events basically um, then right around this time, great recession happens, no job market. We know how the me media industry is going in general, mm. and that's just not like a sensible career choice. Um, so I started working in marketing for, um, as a graduate as like contract work and internships for different international NGOs. And then when I, uh, we had a year, actually, my wife and I, we lived in Korea for a year, taught English. Um, we were in Britain before then we we're in London, Edinburgh. And then when we came to the US, I got a job uh, in TV news as a web producer. So then writing the stories, working on social media. And that was really what sparked my interest in social media and storytelling on social media and the power and opportunity that gives you, where if you present in a story in a good way, you can see immediately if it works or not or gets traction. Um, so that's kind of what kicked off my career in social media. Um, because are, are you originally from, you're from the States originally? No, I'm from England. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So you're what part of England? Um, originally a rural area called Devon. Okay. And then around high school, moved to Northwest England near Manchester, kind of a place called Lake District, and then did my undergrad in Edinburgh, Scotland, postgrad in London, worked in London for a bit as well. That's very cool. So how did you, how did you end up in the States then? Um, my wife did a, grew up in Ames. Iowa State, did a study abroad. I met her on my very first day of college. That was okay. 18. <laughs> nice. Yeah, she transferred over um, and finished up her studies in Edinburgh. And then uh, we had a couple of years in London. And then, so she'd been away for about five or six years at that point. And so it's kind of, we were looking at um, just kind of career options, things like that. We decided to do a year traveling and working in Korea. And then it was kind of like, good it felt like a good time to come back to the u.s for her and i'd been here through summers and things like that so i knew iowa especially pretty well and then yeah came here and you know i was struggling to get a good salaried full-time job in a career i wanted to be in in london around this time 2012 2013 yep 
coming to the morning, I got the, a job in a career I wanted to be in within a week. I just had to wait for some like paper stuff to come through. So it, was kind of, it, it really made me appreciate Des Moines that it's like, you don't have to be in London, like Chicago, New York. You, you can do that stuff in Des Moines. Um, and so, you know, 10, 11 years later, it's like we grew comfortable here, good friends, all the rest of it. Uh, we live well and we travel a lot. So that fills our bucket, but we do it from Des Moines. That's really cool. So so we, we'll, we'll fast forward to the career path and then we'll come back to your kind of your life story because I know this is a lot of stuff we can cover. So we have the photography business. Yeah. What outside of the photography business, what other things are you involved in? Um, so I was after working in news, uh, started working for a nonprofit, and there I basically did their social media digital stuff. There was a guy who also worked there who had this idea for a craft whiskey of the month club, where we would only work with independent craft distilleries. His background was in like logistics operations. And who, uh, who was this? Danny Strabel um, okay. with Rackhouse Whiskey Club. Gotcha. And um, and he's also a very good like sales guy. He's very personable. Uh, but he was looking for someone to basically do the marketing, social media. So he approached me with this idea just when it was getting off the ground. We got some investors. We started that project. And we worked on it together for about five years and traveled the country. We featured, I, I think I, I probably went on 25, 26 different trips around the country and Basically, the idea is these distilleries would have limited distribution. Um, we would come in, do some marketing, tell their story, uh, tell it to our audience, build our audience. The idea being then, you want to try this whiskey? Oh, it turns out you can't get it shipped, so you have to get it through us um, and join our club. And it did pretty well for a few years, and through COVID, it did well as well. But um, So yeah, that was about five years, so that was the second business um, in about 2018, quit the kind of sensible, steady career with benefits and a nice corner office uh, to set up New Drive Media, which is a social media and video production company. Um, and most of our clients are nonprofits, uh, mostly in the organ donation space. It's super niche. I love yeah. that. <laughs> um, and so that's, that's the main gig. Um, and then along the way, opportunities have come up to partner with other people and um, be part of those businesses as well so um yeah a couple of times has come up where someone's operationally has like a great project and they're looking for a marketing partner and it's like um i don't think they would necessarily be able to afford it as a service so basically i'll come in we'll come in as a partner we'll grow the business together and um so now kind of randomly i own some restaurants um the whiskey stuff's kind of uh, moved on from that. But um, yeah, that's kind of how that came about. Sure. Yeah, because I know when I first met you, that was through Rackhouse Whiskey Club because I had this, uh, I still have this harebrained idea of like owning a whiskey brand at some point in my life. And I just wanted to hear people that are in the industry of like what how that works and everything. And there's so many more hoops to jump through than I realized, obviously, like with you shipping alcohol, like you have to, there's like all these legal things that you have to do and um, just the... The branding elements of everything is so interesting. So, yeah, that's a that's a whole another podcast episode. I think that's it is a tricky space. Uh, there is opportunity, um, and because we were working with so many distilleries, then the new distilleries we were working with were looking at us as experts to be like, okay, so how do we improve this? And um, and for Danny, who's uh, my partner, 
he's able to spin off some other businesses basically off that knowledge. So he's been able to stay in the industry and kind of shoot that still. Um, so yeah, it, it, it was good fun. I mean, the trips are fun, right? Any shoot is fun. And then you throw in some whiskey and at the end of the day, you've got the place to yourself. You're drinking with the owners, getting their whole backstory. Um, and you're doing it in like next to a national park or in a cool city somewhere. Um, so it was always a good time. It sounds like a dream for me. I, yeah, <laughs> I love whiskey as we're drinking some whiskey yeah. here today or some yeah. urban. So it's like, I think that's just a really cool business idea because it was a subscription based, right? So it's, um, you pay a monthly fee and then you get a, do you guys curate, a, did you curate a menu for people that they just get um, flavor of the month delivered and then they have to kind of keep up with it and drink it, <laughs> drink yeah. it as it comes? We had this idea. We wanted it to be a shared experience, built community. So everybody got the same project or product. Uh, we shipped every two months. That seemed like the right cadence for the amount of whiskey we were um, kind of shipping. Um, so yeah, everybody would get their box around the same time and then they would obviously share what they liked about it or maybe something about the story. Um, we were very much story focused. So uh, we would work with distilleries that had something different going on. The kind of like, oh, it's always been my dream. So I quit being a, you know, insurance broker and did this instead and it's like you know that's cool for you but like it's not not the best story there's a few stories like that uh but stories where maybe as a former prison and they age the barrels in the cells or <laughs> um yeah i mean th th there were so many i can't i can't even go through it but like that one's a memorable one for example um so it's definitely something that was a bit different and then we kind of lent into that storytelling big time Sure. Well, it's cool. Like like you said, the the partnering with people as a media company, because then you can, you, like you said, give people a service they might not be able to afford, like monthly retainer of content creation for like something that I would do for someone. It's like coming in as a as a partner in their business. That's a kind of a cool conversation. Um, you, I'm assuming you did it one time with someone and then it ended up becoming more things. Have you done that for other different companies as well? Yeah, one other. Uh, so actually, we did a presentation on Rackhouse, and then someone in the audience came down, and we were chatting about stuff. And uh, he owned a pizza restaurant with some other partners. We became we became kind of like buddies, drinking buddies. And then through COVID, the opportunity came to basically rebrand his current pizza restaurant. So he asked me to lead that and do that for him. And um, he also had like plans for growth and doing new restaurant concepts. So that's how I got involved. That's Alec Davis, um, and uh, who's um, kind of the main guy behind Doko Pizza. Um, he does it with uh, his brother, Evan, and another school friend as well, Austin. Okay. And so that was, you know, probably March of 2020 when that happened. We were just out walking our dogs and he pitched me the idea. I was like, sure. Sure. So sounds like a great idea. Right. Um, so uh, we have a restaurant ownership group um, called Orvis Horatio Group. And so the Doco Pizza brand is under that. And we also have Des Moines Beer Garden okay. at Waterworks Park as well. Uh, we're actively working on some new concepts as well, um, which would be new for Des Moines. Um, so, yeah, I kind of have that um, kind of CMO role as far as like overseeing branding and marketing and making sure we're hitting our sales numbers on that side of things and so it's pretty active with it we meet weekly and we're working on things weekly um but yeah it's a fun project i love it when it comes to all the different um pieces that you kind of have the stakes in the fire 
why entrepreneurship? You mentioned you were doing a corporate gig. You were working in the nonprofit space, traditional media. What kind of was the thing that made you pursue entrepreneurship? Because you're not just doing one thing. Now it's like it started as one thing and now it's multiple things. Why Why entrepreneurship for you? Probably started with impatience. Um, you know, when you work in an organization, there's a structure. Um, you have a boss. And, you know, there's... For me, it was probably impatience as far as like I wanted to have more of an influence of how we did things. I'm very much results orientated, not necessarily process orientated. And so if I'm, you know, in a in a team where you feel like you're getting bogged down by process and you're not seeing the results, then that kind of I had some frustrations. And so uh, being able to kind of back yourself and uh, make that jump and be like, no, I think I can build a team. I can build a structure. We can provide a service and um, kind of do it that way. So that I think that's how New Tribe Media started was there was definitely identifying a need uh, and then trying to, you know, problem solve to be the one to solve that problem. Um, that's how it got started. What's your um, what's your favorite part about entrepreneurship and then your least favorite part now that you're knee deep in it and you've been doing it for a number of years? Uh, the best part is the flexibility, right? I mean, especially before kids would work a lot, a lot of hours, um, but it doesn't feel like work because it's your project and you're doing it. Um, and so you're obviously incentivized to like do it. I, I love Monday mornings. I, I love the work we do. I love the work I do. Um, so, um, yeah, that flexibility and just the drive you have within to do the work because you want to do it well and uh, grow things, then that seems to come easy. Um, honestly, I don't think there is downsides. You know, businesses have gone pretty well. Um, yeah, I mean, there are times where um, you have to do stuff that you don't necessarily want to do at that time. Uh, example being Christmas last year, there's a frozen pipe and a rental. Got to go out, figure it out before something breaks, you know. And the same like a couple of weeks ago when it was minus 30 out, the, I checked the the app and it says inside the commercial studio is 30 degrees. That's that's obviously not good. So go over there, problem solve that at kind of 10 p.m. at night when it's minus 30 and outside and pulling tools out. But it's also like a little sense of adventure. So <laughs> keeps it thinking. I, I don't mind it. You know, I'll snap some random people, some friends of like the random thing I'm doing at the random time. <laughs> Can't you just be normal? <laughs> sure, sure. Because how, so you have the, the main studio. Do you have, you said you have other rentals as well? Uh, just that rental upstairs. Yeah. Upstairs. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. That helps too that you're not having to like manage a bunch of different other properties. And then you're like, oh gosh, and you get like, I don't have time for this or whatever. It keeps it kind of kosher that way. So. Yeah. That's really cool. So in terms of like the the mix of everything, I'm, and there's people I've talked with that are what I would call serial entrepreneurs that have multiple businesses. I think a lot of people just assume you're working on all of it all the time, equal amounts of time. What's kind of the percentage breakdown of like time allocation, energy, effort, um, some things that just take a lot more resources? Where where are you putting your time with all these on a weekly basis? Uh, the majority of it's New Tribe Media. That's the marketing, social media, video production. I treat um, the businesses I'm a partner in as a client. So it'd be like a client account. Um, so the work would do would kind of go through the same process, 
work within a team. Um, obviously, as an owner, as a partner, you have different like ownership level meetings, right? That's you wouldn't have as a client, but um, that's basically how I treat it. And um, yeah, I kind of made the transition two years ago, getting burnt out from doing just too much and all the things was like, I really need to flip the script and instead of being the one to do it, just be the one to oversee it. And so that's when, instead of just re relying on myself and some contractors, then started, um, hired my first full-time uh, person, Chase, who we kind of mentioned before, and then also have um, someone else who works uh, probably about half their week with me. And she does about half, half the week doing her own projects as well. So it's kind of a launching pad for her um and then obviously just like you used a ton of contractors so um you know we'll have a project at the moment where videos getting is out getting colored or working on animation where we produced it written the script for a client but there's an animator working on it that kind of stuff mm -hmm. um so it's just like checking in nudging the projects forward uh we're also building out some software at the moment uh like a platform a story platform that um, clients could subscribe to and then basically license content okay instead of us doing it for them they just get access to it um so working with different developers there um so yeah it's a case of just like nudging projects forward but it's mostly under new tribe media sure yeah and in terms of like how the the flow of it goes i'm, I'm just curious now that we're talking through it you mentioned you, you take some of your own minority ownership stuff and treat it as a client is does that more is that not even billable time or is that just like it all kind of ends in the same result of like if the pizza rias are doing better and then you'll get a higher percentage uh profit share at the end of the year and then you can pay your people like it all bob's your uncle everybody's happy like is that kind of how you approach it or do you have to be more like specific on how you structure out your your time allocation for your employees to work on those things um yeah, those kind of partnerships aren't like rational choices. It's not it's not a good sensible business choice, especially the restaurant industry. It's kind sure. of uh, very low margin, kind of very intensive, capital intensive. Um, yeah, with those, I try and set like a monthly retainer. So there's some there's there's some money there, but it's way under like what the market would be. Right. Just to like help pay for some salary. Yep. Um, I don't expect to get anything out of that. I'm. You know, I'm a business owner. If we grow to a scale, then I'll benefit that way. Sure. Um, uh, so it's kind of set up differently where it's, you know, I'm the the client account, but I'm also the client at the same time. You <laughs> know, right. it's kind of playing at both sides. But Sure. Well, and in terms of the media side, now that you have a team, what's like your favorite thing to do in, in the New Tribe media side? Is it filming, editing, directing, producing? Like what's kind of your thing that, that makes you excited? Um we do, we manage a lot of social media profiles for nonprofit clients, especially in the organ donation space. And a lot of that is storytelling, whether it's um, getting user generated content or following up with people to get their stories to post daily. We, we literally get thousands of these stories a year. Um, but I'd say my favorite is probably like the video production where we're interviewing and really trying to get the like emotion out of the story. And then obviously telling that in a, a visual way that will get people's attention and also make them stick around and watch the whole thing, kind of a big competition for people's attention. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm really enjoying that aspect as well. 
Sure. I love that. Yeah. And that's been a question I've been asking myself as well lately is like, I mean, I, we do video production as a company, but it's also like not my favorite thing in the world. Ironically, it's like, I like client relationships and like managing projects and like doing sales and meetings and stuff like that. So it's like, I think the more you dig into like your, what you want to do, then you can hire out the rest and then really focus. Cause then you're excited. Like, do, like you said, you're happy for Mondays. You're not like, Oh crap, I got to go do this thing. I don't really want to do. Yeah, that that's a good point. The, I knew early on I wasn't very good at video editing. I didn't like it, and it was a slog. So <laughs> early on, that's the first thing. It's out. Sure. I will, you know, I'll be the client contact. I'll do the ideation, come up with the ideas, pitch it to the client. They'll sign off on it. I love shooting. I love the visual, the photography background. I'm not going to edit that. <laughs> that's, uh, I'm not, uh, you know. There's someone out there who loves that and is way better. So let's just partner with them. Sure. Um, and so, yeah, over the years, um, partnered with quite a few talented video editors that help with different projects. And then bringing Chase on, that's probably about half of his work is just editing. Mm -hmm. He cranks it out. He's good. He's like, seems happy about it. It's like all the things that I'm not when it comes to that. It's like, oh, it's perfect. That's great. Sure. Well, I think like you said, find the right the right people to fill those is, is super big. I know like for me, I had a really big project last summer um, for a math curriculum company that we shot for Des Moines Public Schools. It's like a three-day shoot. We did like 25 final videos of like interviews and I just hired it out. And it was so nice to just like send the files and just like, oh, like, yes, I'm obviously not making as much profit by paying someone to do it. But I'm like, this is nice to just like, now I can do the other stuff I need to do. So it's always, always fun that way. Well, doing that also, which the transition I made a couple of years ago is like, how much of your time did it free up? So now you can bring in another project and it's like, you know what? The business made more money. I made more money and someone else made some money along the way. So it's, and I'm not doing the work I don't like to do as much. So it's kind of, it's a no brainer. And I guess that's one way to grow a business as well. Sure. What's the, uh, before we do the lightning round, we're going to do a, a lightning trivia round uh, here in a bit. Not really trivia, more just fast questions, but the last question I wanted to ask you before we do that is what's the biggest difference between here and uh, England? Because it's like, it's such a different, I mean, I, I went there for study abroad. I was there for five days in London, five in Amsterdam and five in Paris. So I have my little comparison with only being there five days. What What's the difference uh, from growing up there versus here? Uh, yeah, good question. Uh, I think there are some like cultural differences, but because there's so much crossover, it's easily to like translate and adjust. Um, I think the built environment's different. I think um, just some of the cultural references are different. Um, you know, it's, it's not as politically extreme um, in the UK, although it has its moments with like Brexit and stuff like that. Sure. Um, I think like things like religion doesn't play as big a role okay. in the UK. So that's not something I really grew up with. Um, and just, uh, especially in the Midwest, it's quite different in the sense that there's so much space here. And, um, I think like old buildings, old, old things aren't protected as much here. Whereas in the UK, you'll walk down the street and everything looks old, right? Cause they won't um, knock down an old, yeah, it's cheaper. Know, historical building. Yeah. It's cheaper to knock it down and build something new. And so that's what people do. Whereas... You can't do that in the UK. There's too many protections on that building, even if you think it's like, that's an ugly building, but nope, sure. it's staying. 
Um, so I think that's partly why, like the building that we renovated, my wife and I, um, like that's what drew us to it. It's kind of a sense of like, how do we preserve what's here rather than just, you know, you could take the land, knock it down, build something else, but it doesn't seem like there's much like character or soul in doing it that way. Sure. No, I, I totally get it. That's, that's cool. It's cool insight. Cause I would agree when I was in Europe, it was like, everything's older, but it's also like the city has been there forever where it's like here, like you said, everything's all spread out. There's not like concrete infrastructure that, you know, things can kind of move and, and bend, which is also helpful to knock things down and just build new. So Yeah. It's funny seeing like American tourists get very confused by the built environment in the UK and Europe in general, where these streets weren't designed when cars were invented. Um, so they've kind of been retrofitted and there's not a grid system. If you want to go somewhere, you get on that road and it takes you to that place. So if you try and hop and zigzag to the grid system, you're going to get lost very quickly. So sure. Yeah. It's, it's a process for sure. I think that's the, the fun things about comparing and contrasting different places. So, okay. Moving into the lightning round, we'll play some game show music, stuff like that. Um, I'm going to ask you some quick questions. First thought that you come to mind, if you want to expand on it, feel free to, if not, we can just jump to the next one. But um, we mentioned this earlier, but how many distilleries have you visited in your lifetime? You mentioned you did a couple trips, but do you know the number of distilleries you've been to? I think from the folders uh, on my drive, 26. Okay. That's what we were, what I worked on. Sure. Okay. Favorite, favorite distillery that you went to in terms of like uniqueness of, like you said, um, cool feel, vibe, story. What was the one that sticks out in your mind? Um, there's a few. There was one uh, just outside Austin called Treaty Oak. And it wasn't so much the story as more the experience we had there. We shot in the morning there and then we went to a different distillery in the afternoon and the guys were just like, there was a good vibe. They were fun. And there was like a restaurant that, with it. Um, and they were like, oh, if you're not doing anything for dinner, come back. And so we did. And we ended up staying there till four in the morning and <laughs> just like ended up as a bit of a rave. So that was a, that was a fun experience. But yeah, we traveled all over the country. It was a fun one in D.C., uh, we worked with Bardstown, um, which is a big distillery that had a lot of money behind it. Um, and actually working with them was kind of like, we're looking around and be like, we made it. These guys reached out to us, then we're doing okay. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, always a good time. That's great. I love it. That, that, that would have been fun to be a fly on the wall for that experience. Cause that sounds like something I wouldn't have loved to do. Um, what's your favorite type of pizza? Since you're a minority owner in a, in a pizzeria, what's your favorite type of pizza? Uh, I like to get the uh, taco pizza from Doco Pizza, available from our Drake and Ankeny locations. There you go. Um, <laughs> yeah, taco's good. Uh, we had a barbecue chicken. We did a, a collab with uh, Big Mo Kaysen, uh, who's a big barbecue guy, pit master, who's from Des Moines, but he's usually doing all these competitions around the country. He's from Des Moines? Yeah, from Drake. Oh my gosh, I've seen Big Mo all over. Like he's, not, I think he has his own TV, did not TV show, but yeah, he has a TV show. Okay. He has his own sources. Did collaborations with Hy-Vee. That that <laughs> I'm from Kansas City. He's from Des Moines. The Drake neighbor in Des Moines. That is awesome. Um, yeah, we uh, we were a week out from opening, and we were talking about menu items, maybe like a few specials. Was our first special going to be? Um, and then barbecue came up, and someone mentioned his name. It was like. I'll just message him on Instagram now. He was there within 20 minutes. Oh my gosh. And like an hour later, we had a collaboration. So that that's, is awesome. We did that for a few years, but he got so popular. Uh, it was kind of hard to get his project or product in stock consistently on the quantities we needed. Um, so it's kind of like that one, you know, went its way after a few years. But yeah, that, that was fun. That's awesome. 
um, best industry and worst industry that you've shot video in, in terms of enjoyment of shooting the video? Uh, best industry, uh, the organ donation, donate live space. Everybody who involved with it, whether they're staff members at the organizations that facilitate that or the people who are part of this club that no one wants to be part of. Uh, yeah, it's just unbelievable. It's just like so much compassion and giving and appreciation in that whole process that that's that's where we do most of our work and the stories tell themselves we just try and give them a platform um that's good the you know like on the flip side not so good one was probably the whiskey space because it's you have all this equity on you know aging on people's distillery shelves and so getting paid on time was a bit tricky in that space sure yeah getting invoices sent back that makes that makes sense um if you had to stop all the businesses you're involved in and just pick one to focus all your time on full time, what would you do? Uh, the work we do with our organ donation nonprofits that it, it is the core of what we do, and it's fulfilling work. And um, we work with uh, the nonprofits that facilitate organ tissue and eye donation. Um, those nonprofits will have federally designated kind of service areas. So for Iowa is Iowa Donor Network, they do Iowa. But we work with um, Iowa, with the one in St. Louis, uh, Alabama, um, Ohio. We worked with Nebraska for a long time. We've worked with Donate Life America as well, uh, who oversees the whole brand um, kind of nationwide. So we have like a, a good niche in that space. Uh, we've built the largest online communities in that space. Uh, we regularly reach 1 million people a week through our content. Um, so as a space that um, we do well in and we have a good reputation in. And it's just, it's, you know, it's a worthwhile mission. That's great. I've done some stuff with medical. I'll have to take a look at some of the things you've done. I always love hearing like, pulling the stories out there's a, there's the perfect way to like do it respectfully but also not like pry but then you know just the storytelling aspect I'd, I'd love to see some of the stuff you've done that'd be great yeah even some of the clients is kind of you know coaching them as well of take the organization out of it and just talk about the mission and let the people who are impacted by the mission do the storytelling on your behalf um whether they're a recipient that story is easily understood right you're sick deathly sick you get an organ, you get a heart transplant, kidney transplant, you feel better, you spend time with your family, go to your daughter's wedding, that kind of thing. That story makes sense. The story that surprised me most was the donor family perspective. They've lost a loved one, probably suddenly, uh, probably catastrophically, and that person's gone on to become an organ donor or a tissue donor. You, They're the ones with loss, right? They've lost a loved one. Um, but often they're the ones that are most appreciative for this mission because this organ donation, tissue donation means that story doesn't end at that point. That legacy lives on. And so they have a reason to tell their story or tell their loved one's story. They have a reason. Um, and so there's kind of this silver lining that goes with this like otherwise terrible event. Um, so that's the story that I love, the perspective I love telling as far as the donor family perspective and how positive that is for those families. I think that's really powerful. I love it. That's super awesome. Um, favorite travel destination you visited in like the last 10 years? 
we've traveled a lot. Um, Rattle prob- rattle off some of the trips. Uh, but where have you gone? Uh, we've probably been to like thirty countries Holy or more. Cow. Um, maybe thirty five <laughs> states as well. Um, we were just in Hawaii over Christmas. So that was great. Uh, favorites is Philippines. Uh, there's an island called Boracay. We've been there twice. Um, the beaches are unbelievable. People are so friendly. Um, is that near near Indonesia? Yeah, so area, um, in that area of the world, at least working on my uh, geography here. Yeah, Indonesia is a bit south, so keep on going up north, and then you'll hit uh, the Philippines up there. Um, it's probably like a four-hour flight from there or so. Okay. Um, what What did you? What makes it stand out as like the best, the coolest place you went? Uh, the people mostly is so friendly, um, and then just the island, the beach itself. It's like, picture the perfect beach, and that was it. <laughs> okay. Like unbelievable, and then you get there, and everything's so cheap as well. You know, the expensive hotel beer—at least when we were there—was like thirty cents, or you know, you get couples massage or something. It's like by put in a tip, it's like ten bucks. So, um, or like three course meal. I think back then we were paying like eight dollars or something. Sure. So we went there when we weren't. You know, we were young and didn't have much budget to spend on this stuff. And then uh, our five-year wedding anniversary, we're like, okay. Let's go back to our favorite place, which was our favorite place, and then we chose that. Sure, yeah, and I, I have friends of mine that did the remote working that lived in like Bali for three months, and it was like forty bucks a night for a villa with its own pool in the jungle. It's like you can't beat it. So there, I think that area of the world, um, there's a lot of cool places to visit that you can really stretch your dollar for it. Yeah, Bali was cool. I uh, went there, did a bit of travel. It was quite touristy, um, so it wasn't like a hundred percent our vibe. It was just so busy. Um, but yeah, lots of lots of good memories of traveling through Asia, especially when we lived there. Um, we went to Myanmar as well, Burma, uh, right after they opened it up to foreigners. My um, one of my brothers was teaching at an international school there, so we were able to stay with him and experience that. That was that was really cool because just Western business was not there whatsoever. Western influence hadn't been there for decades, generations. And so you're walking through these villages and that's when you get like stared from everyone who's there because it, it might be the first time in a long time they've seen kind of Europeans um, in that part of the world. So sure. that was that was interesting. That's super cool. Um, last question. So you're, you're a dad, right? Mm-hmm. How many kids do you have? Uh, we have two. Two, two girls, boy and a girl? A uh, boy who's about to turn five and uh, a girl who just turned one. Oh, very cool. Mm-hmm. Okay, so as a father... What's kind of your, this is like more of a deeper question. What's like a really big life lesson you want to make sure you instill in your kids before they leave the house and go on to be adults? Um, yeah, that's a good, good question. I think um, for me, it's um, a sense of uh, being a good community member. Um, I think like sometimes get lost in this idea of like, career or like pursuit for like money or something like that but it's it's not really about that it's what are you doing to contribute to your community um and if you look at it from that way hopefully the rest comes um we are our family grew through adoption so we've gone through that journey and um our eldest birth mom probably gave us the best life lesson during that process um and she gave us kind of this parting wisdom of um they're they're never ours in the first place they're kind of uh the universes so that's kind of the um outlook that i have as well where it's you know that's 
they're their own people, especially as you see them grow up. That they're, they're not like an extension of me or my wife, or they're their own person to be nourished and kind of make sure they have that confidence and knowledge to go out in the world. Um, so that's kind of a big like thing we think about as parents. Oh, I love that. And it's interesting too, because we also have a, a son that's a year and a half and then a two week old daughter is like my second day back in the office here. Um, so that's something my wife and I've talked about a lot too. It's like, what's, um, what are some of the things we want to instill in them? You know, you, like you said, you talk so much about people that try to make a mini me or a mini you and be like, oh, they need to do this and that. It's like, our main thing is like, make sure they're a good person. Like I want my, my kids to be better than me is like, See, like you said, a community member sees somebody in need and they just help them without asking her what's in it for me. It's like you just do it or you're polite, you have manners, like things that I feel like the world are kind of losing <laughs> right now as a whole. So that's that's cool that you're you're thinking of those things. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, when you work so hard to have a family in the first place, then uh, you do have you do think about those things. Um you know, the photography business, uh, my wife used to shoot in that as well, be a second shooter and help with editing. Um, we set that up because of the bills we had for um, IVF at the time and then through adoption. Um, yeah, I can't, you know, I would say for the first six years of that business, we didn't actually get a penny. It all went to this stuff. Uh, and then we were finally, you know, we've kind of, we have the sense we've completed our family. Our second uh, was born last year. Did, did you adopt as well or did you have him naturally as well? Um, yeah, both kids, both kids adopted. Okay. Uh, we were there for the both uh, births of both as well. Oh, that's a cool experience. Uh, different families. Uh, so we were there uh, with our firstborn. My wife cut the cord. Um, so, you know, this this whole experience is so intense. And, um, and you know, the couples that photographed at weddings, they don't, they don't. They don't know that. They don't know that that the money they paid uh, for us to photograph their wedding went directly to our family. Um, and now that we have our family, I need my Saturdays back. And <laughs> right. So it's like, you know, we built our business so it would pay for this. We've completed our family. So now it, it fulfilled its purpose and we can scale back. As soon as we had our first, my wife kind of stopped shooting as much. Sure. Um, and then I just took it on, um, and now we've had our second, it's kind of like, I'm going to stop shooting as much and be around more on the weekends. Sure. Does she, does she still shoot weddings or help out with any of the businesses or is she full-time working with the kids or what does she do uh, for her work? Um, so yeah, her work, uh, her background was in nursing, public health, and then she was working in the organ donation space, uh, for about 10 years up until we had our second. And then she stayed home after maternity leave. She's been doing her postgrad and about to uh, finish up in social work. Okay. Uh, so she had a full-time job. She was in senior leadership at this organization for a time. She was doing a postgrad being a mom. It was like, this is too much. Like, you know, let's just, what can we do to scale this back? So, um, yep, she graduates in May. And then the plan will be she will then have her own practice. Sure. So then she can be self-employed. Okay. The idea that we'll both be flexible in our time when we need to be. Sure. Yeah, I think the entrepreneurship bug bites one spouse and then the next slowly comes after the next one because my wife just left her salon to do her own salon business full time for doing hair. So that's awesome. it's uh, the thing I feel like that just kind of, like you said, the flexibility, you see one person being like, oh, you need to shift things around. Like you're not just locked into something, which is, I think, I have a feeling there's going to be a lot more people 
owner operators that will pop up, entrepreneurs, if you will, um, gig workers. Like I feel like that's kind of the new. That's where a lot of things are moving. I feel like. Yeah, she worked at an amazing organization, super flexible as well. But it's like you rise up, and it's just more stress. It's more. It's just more stuff, right? It's more people. People are complicated. Um, and then she's looking at me with a big smile, grabbing my coffee on Monday morning, and she's like, like, you know, how how do we? Can I have some of this? that? Yeah, <laughs> I'll have morning off, Evan. Yeah, I'm like, you know, traveling around the country, and like, you know, I, I I've got to tell her we did do some work as well. Like, it wasn't all fun and games, but even the work's fun. So, um, yeah. So I think it's just a case of like, I, what what do we want our kids to experience as well, and. If we're going to live in Iowa, it means we have to travel in winter because can't deal with the cold uh, for the whole time. So it's like, how can we both be working remote maybe for like three or four weeks or something or when they get to school age, like juggling that as well and just giving them experiences, but also not being tied um, to a desk or anything like that. I love it. Um, what's kind of just to kind of we're, we've been out of the hot seat for a while with the 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 fast paced stuff. So sorry if I didn't uh, clarify that for you. Um, kind of moving into like you mentioned, like the plans for the future. What what is your career plan? Do you plan to, as new opportunities come up, continue to get more involved in businesses, scale back, rev up? Like what's kind of your plan for the rest of your career as you start looking at the future? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, periodically, I'll look at things and just be like, is this a space that we want to work in is this a client we want to work with you know it, like it's so tempting saying yes to everything and then suddenly you look around and be like well we're doing some here doing some there doing some here like i don't like doing this stuff over here it's like well why are we doing that um so we we've had those processes where maybe you know a contract ends with a client in a different space and we're just like we're not going to go down that space anymore and that was something that happened with me in the whiskey space uh, just over a year ago where it's like I need to get re-energized and commit more or I need to kind of focus on other things and there was a kind of a natural break uh, to do that so that's kind of when I uh, took a backseat from Rackhouse Whiskey Club. So uh, are, you, are you still a partner in the company or did you step away like a year ago? Um, technically still a partner there was kind of a process to get evaluation and potentially bought out um and yeah there's a whole story that goes with that but um that one looks like it's kind of naturally coming to a close which is a shame because it was a good business it revenued well lots of opportunity but there's only so much you can do when you're kind of undercapitalized and under-resourced and we did well whilst we had it but at the same time it's there's only so much you can do. Sure. Um, that, that might be a really good opportunity for like an acquisition though if you got it in front of like a broker that Maybe there's a distillery that would like to buy it or a larger, you know, established distillery from the South that's like wanting to do marketing. Like that, that's just kind of where my mind goes of like the way to exit in a way that makes everyone happy. So, yeah, when uh, when I left, it was or left actively working on it. My hope was I'd get bought out. They'd take my equity, raise a ton of money and offer good valuation and then fly. And I'd just be proud that I was part of the journey. Um, but again, there's only like, you know, I was kind of the second person there. If I'm leaving and no one's doing my stuff, that's got to be backfilled. And then, um, so it just gets tricky at that point. And Danny, my partner, um, was already working on some other concepts. So it was just, 
juggling some lots of different things but um it was like one of those things where it was a, a fun time i learned a lot i was able to take a lot from it but it's also time to move on sure no i, I love just like the because you, you can only do so much in a day, right? So like knowing where you can put your time is super, super important. Um, advice that we're almost done with the interview here. Um, just kind of looking to the future and looking and helping other people that are kind of on the come up of what they're wanting to do in their early career. What advice would you have for like other young entrepreneurs that are wanting to like start their own business or just some some advice that you picked up along the way that would help somebody that's in that journey? I think one of the biggest things and easiest things to do if you're going on this journey is to show up. Um, is to be reliable, is to stick by your word, that kind of thing. Um, I think having good mentors or good people to replicate helps. Um, I've had that in some parts and other parts I've just figured out, um, but it speeds things up if you can have that. Um, and the way I've kind of, the rationale I've had is, um, you know, you, in a job interview, you'd back yourself to land that one job as like, especially having a marketing business, I need a dozen jobs, right? I need a dozen clients. I will, I will back ourselves and back our team to do, to be able to do that job. And it's kind of like, um, an another way to think of it is you're often show up for an employer. Um, and when you're an entrepreneur, you have to show up for yourself. There's not someone else who will tell you to like clock in at night and leave at five, that kind of stuff. Um, so if you're, if you can do it for someone else, flip the mind, um, and show up for yourself and put just as much work in for yourself than you would for someone else. Um, that's kind of where I've been at. And that's, I've seen other people go on the entrepreneurship journey where they've done really well in a, in a job. Maybe they build some good contacts, have a client list to get going and it just kind of fizzles out. Um, and it's, um, I don't know. I think sometimes that like the amount of work and effort you put in for other people, if you do that for yourself and for your ideas and your company, you'll, you'll do well. I love that advice. I think it's, it's super important though. Cause if you, especially if you have a servant mentality and you're just like, you always saw, I think of like the, the mom that always takes care of her kids, but never herself. Like that's the, I feel like a lot of people fall in that bucket of like, Oh, I'll just take care of them. I'll take care of it. It's like, but if you show up for yourself, then you're showing up for other people too. I think that's a great, great piece of advice. Mm -hmm. That's great. Okay. So we're coming up on the end here. Um, lots of different businesses that you're involved in. What would you like to to plug or tell people about? Where can they learn more about you or some of the stuff you're involved in? Yeah, I think the big one, restaurants, uh, check out Doko Pizza, Drake Neighborhood, Ankeny. Uh, we do have some new concerts coming, so kind of follow our socials for announcements on that. Um, Studio E9, if you're a photographer looking for a creative space or maybe you have a um, a small event you want to hold that's, that's too big for your house or not, you don't want to have it in your house, then that would be a good spot. Um, but yeah, apart from that, uh, New Tribe Media, you know, most of our clients are out of state. Uh, the ones in state, uh, we've worked with um, like United Way or Dart, um, Iowa Donor Network. But um, so it's not... We don't work with like smaller mom and pop shops typically. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, go go buy some pizza and if you want whiskey, then <laughs> go, go get it from your local distillery. I love it. I love it. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for being on the show and coming down. And I appreciate you just taking time out of your day to, to be on the podcast, man. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate the time, Ryan. It was a good chat. Awesome. 
Well, if you made it this far in the show, make sure to give us a five-star review if you're watching or listening on Apple iTunes or Spotify. Subscribe on YouTube if you're not already, and we'll catch you in the next episode. My name's Ryan Snod. It rhymes a lot, and I'm out. Peace.